So it's really great to have you all um, here this evening for Young Urban Zen. And um, if um, any of you um, have joined us a little bit later, um, I've invited anyone who feels comfortable to sit on camera. That way we can kind of see each other. And I can also see some of the folks that um, we're talking to here. Um, and if you aren't in a position like that, I, I totally understand it. It just kind of helps build a little bit of community if that's possible for you. Um, so anyway, welcome to Young Urban Zen here on a Tuesday night, May 4th. And it looks like some things might be changing a little bit in our world here if you're in San Francisco or anywhere near this world in um, the United States. And I think most of you probably are in the United States. And um, yeah, we've been in a little bit of a cave here for the last year. Um, a little bit more time to um, have an introspective life and to look at things and to analyze ourselves and to come up with ideas about ourselves and the world and how things are. And it feels to me like over the last year, um, I've been suffering in some sort of way. Um, the, the, I've been, yeah, in some sort of way, I've been suffering. I haven't been able to live the life that I consider to be Michael's life. I've had to edit myself. I've had to get into a certain box and things are not the way that I'm used to having them be. And that isn't so fun. And now, um, as of um, yesterday in San Francisco and a couple of days ago around the country, um, they said that if you're fully vaccinated, you can take off your mask when you walk around outside. And I don't know if you're like me, but that feels really strange. Um, and I went for a walk without my mask today because I'm fully vaccinated. And I was walking around without my mask in San Francisco, and it just felt like I was naked. It was really strange. And I realized that I had um, adapted to um, this new context. I mean, an organism will adapt to the environment that you drop it in. And my environment has changed. And so there's the sense that, um, that now I can live my life. Now, now I can live my life. And before I wasn't living my life, before I was treading water and I was holding my breath. And when will this end? And I can get back to living my life. Um, and when can I suffer less? When I get to do the stuff that I want to do, and I get to have my life that I want to have, I will then suffer less than what I have been this last year. That's the going concept that I've been living under, is that as soon as this stuff start, stops um, in, in, impinging on um, what I can do, then I will suffer less. I will suffer less. And so, what I want to talk about tonight is suffering and really the cause of suffering. What causes suffering? You know, they talk about the four noble truths in Buddhism. And uh, the first one is suffering and what is it and that it exists. And then the cause of suffering and then um, the cessation of suffering and then the path that leads out of suffering. And the number two point is the cause of suffering. So if I want to suffer less, what causes suffering? What is that? Well, in the Buddhist canon, they talk about suffering um, being caused by craving. Now, craving is an, an external manifestation, uh, like a, a want. 
Either I want things to be a certain way or I don't want things to be a certain way. And I want them because I'm an entity, a fixed entity that wants things to be a certain way and I wanna protect this entity. And so craving and wanting, and we say craving, it's like attachment, like you hold on to something. And it isn't just like I want something, like I'm attracted to it. It could be holding on to a fixed view of something that um, I have aversion to. But it's this grasping that if I hold on tightly and I make the world the way I, I, I think it should be, then I will suffer less. And it's this illusion that I am on an island. I have Michael Island and you have your island. And as long as I make my island the way I want it to be, then I will suffer less, regardless of what's happening on your island. And people over the history of humanity have built all sorts of things, giant castles, stone castles, that when they were finished, it looked like they would never fall and that people would never breach those walls. And it felt secure. I've got my castle. I can put all the bricks on the wall. And there was a song by R.E.M. years ago called World Leader Pretend, where I'm building the bricks and putting them in the wall. And that way, no one can reach me. And so the cause of suffering we talk about is this craving, this attachment to the world. If I just make it a certain way and I get the things the way I want them to be, then, and if I can make my castle secure, I will not suffer. And this is viewed as a wrong view, as ignorance. And having this view um, of the being able to order my world and then I will suffer less. And don't get me wrong, it's great if you think about something in your life that is, is hindering you. It's like, I need to quit staying up till one in the morning. I will feel better at work. There is nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to go to bed at 1030, you know, but it's how we hold these views. It's how we hold these views and that we're also holding them as though we are independent entities separate from everybody else. And so Ignorance or this wrong view of how things are, this wrong view of how I am. Um, in Buddhism and in Zen, we talk about um, the root of, of suffering being craving or attachment. And what causes that is a ignorant or an unenlightened um, uh, or um, a, a view that is not um, sound and grounded in reality. And real ignorance is not just being uneducated or not knowing many things. Buddhists see ignorance as the inability to see truth about things, to see things as they really are. The ability to see truth is not a question of either eyesight or education. Buddhists believe that there are many truths about the world that people are ignorant of because of the limits of their understanding. And so we come out of our cave with ideas about ourselves, maybe even some goals, maybe even some fears. And we learn to hold them with curiosity and not firmly. And to kind of let things unfold. The roots of craving, 
the perpetuation of myself as a standalone entity in the universe who wants to avoid pain by holding on to things or acquiring things is born out of ignorance. The roots of craving, holding on to things, wanting things to be a specific way, the roots of craving, the perception of myself as a standalone entity in the universe who wants to avoid pain by holding on to or acquiring things is born out of ignorance. And if we cannot allow ourselves the flexibility of mind to let things unfold, to not have fixed views that are rarely open to scrutiny, then we will keep a deluded view of ourselves and the world around us. Years ago, and I might date myself by saying this, but um, there was um, a, uh, an alt band in the 90s called Mazzy Star. And Mazzy Star had this album that had the, the title of the album that I love. And it is, um, so that tonight I might see. And it never tells you what they did so that they might see or why they needed to see tonight. It just like takes this thought right in the middle. So tonight that I might see. What is it that is perpetuating my view of ignorance? What is it that I need to do so that I might see? What is keeping me from being able to touch what is really going on as opposed to what is not really going on? And living this life like I'm in a funhouse mirror where it's based on real objects, but they're all distorted. And what is it that actually helps me have clearer vision? Have you ever had a friend that was really disturbed about something and kind of wound, like really wound inside? And then they're trying to explain like something that happened and you were there and you know that that's not how it happened, but they're wound, they're, they're, they're wound. And so they've got a, a view that's based on being in a physical body that is agitated and we've all been there ourselves, but sometimes we can see it more easily when it's a friend that's having like an agitated or anxious moment and they're trying to talk about the universe. And it's based on usually real things, but it's like a funhouse mirror. It's all distorted and this is way bigger and that's way smaller and that's forgotten. And you can kind of see this. It's kind of like a funhouse mirror. And what is it that helps us be able to see? Well, I've got three things because usually if someone's talking to me, I can't remember more than three things. So I don't want to bring more than three things. And these are three things about being able to see. Because when we're caught in ignorance, when we're caught in a view that is deluded, when we're caught in the veil of our own agitation, it is very difficult to actually see what's going on. And so the first thing I want to talk about is my grip, your grip, our grip. How tightly do I hold on to things? Whatever it is that I think is true about myself, my universe, my friends, my family, my country, my city, my job, my neighbors, my friends, my partner, my abilities, my weaknesses, what's going on right now. How tightly am I holding on to that? Is it a door that's shut? 
Is there a crack in the door? Is it flexible? Is it nimble? Is there any sort of flexibility that I hold it with? How does it feel the way inside? How does it feel in my body, how I'm holding things? There's this um, comedian named Tim Minchin in Australia that I, I think is hilarious. And he was talking about um, this in as far as views, and you might've seen this, but um, I wrote down one of his quotes um, that he, he had in a commencement speech. And he says, be hard on your opinions. They should be constantly and thoroughly examined. We must think critically and not just about the idea, the ideas of others. Be hard on your beliefs. Take them outside and hit them with a stick. Be intellectually rigorous. Identify your biases, your prejudices, your privileges. Most of society's arguments are kept alive by a failure to acknowledge nuance. We tend to generate false dichotomies and then try to argue one point using two entirely different sets of assumptions, like two tennis players trying to win a set by hitting beautiful shots from either end of separate tennis courts. And oftentimes, we are not rigorous enough with what it is that are our ideas and our opinions. And so I invite you the next time that you are aware of an idea or an opinion to not criticize it or instantly play the devil's advocate, but more notice how you're holding it. How is it being held in your body? Does it feel like you're holding tightly? That there is no oxygen for anything else to creep in? Or does it feel like you're holding it with some sort of nimbleness and some sort of flexibility where you're not necessarily letting go of it, but it's not necessarily truth with a capital T. And maybe in time you'll come to see it as something that's even more true than you do now, but you can't actually hear other people at all if you've got a tight grip, if you're really attached that's a really hard stance to hear other people from. Because the delusion is like a, a veil that's slowly getting lifted. And it's a matter of how deluded we are, not whether we're deluded, we're all deluded. We all have a veil. We all have a shroud over our eyes to some degree in each area that we're looking. It's just the degree to which we are deluded in that area. And if we could see everything instantly, I believe, I think if I could see instantly everything as it is and have it reflected against Michael's views of how things really are, I would probably die a psychic death like instantly. It'd be like too much to take in, you know? It'd just be like being, just having, as opposed to having my little flashlight shining into the Grand Canyon and understanding how things are, I would have like the whole Grand Canyon illuminated by the sun and I would just be like, oh, and then that'd be it, you know. But seeing and um, delusion are things that are veils that are slowly lifted, slowly taken away. And if we have our mini enlightenments as we're able to digest them, they start to let us see that there's so much more to see. And so the first thing is our grip and how I hold my ideas whenever they come up. The second thing is connected. 
connected. It's 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 so much, and especially living in the Western world, and especially living in you know the United States. I mean, we're so individual. The cowboy, you know, the lone cool person, the person who doesn't need the the crowd or the tribe, um, the person that can just um, be the adventurer that goes off into the wilderness and makes their way by their own pluck and sweat. You know, that's a huge piece of the mythology of our our culture. And it's not that there's something inherently wrong with trying to be responsible and resourceful and do it yourself, but the illusion that I'm not connected to the universe and to the people around me, and that if someone else doesn't have justice, that I don't have justice, that in my society, if things are unfair for another group or for another person, that things are actually unfair for me and that I will suffer and I'm not separate. And it's so easy because we have this life where we can even just have our own apartment and our own room and we can have our own key and our own door and we can go in and this is my castle. This is my stone castle. This is my fortress. I'm the world leader pretend in these walls. I've got a lease or a mortgage. And so, you know, I'm not connected, but we are, we are. And maybe you've seen some of that by being in um, a sequestered state from this last year and realizing um, how much being in our own world and in our own thoughts we start to dream up things. And I don't know if you've realized that, but I've realized that I can come up with more things to worry about and more ways to um, stew about things um, by someone saying, yeah, you really can't go out for a year and it'd be pretty good if you just kind of stayed home until this is all over. Um, yeah, it's amazing what the human mind can come up with and all the different ways that I can start to worry about the universe or think of, I know about how things are. So many things happened in this last year and I didn't actually experience them firsthand. Most of what happened in my apartment was pretty boring and not much happened. I grew a few dust bunnies and um, I made my bed a few times and I did some dishes and I took a lot of baths, but not a lot happened in my apartment, but I have all this idea about how things went this last year by people telling me how things went this last year. And just realizing that we are connected and what happens to your neighbor happens to you. And we need each other. And you can look at so many different situations that have been studied in psychology about babies that were raised without contact or without being around humans or were shunned and the psychological damage that that does. We need each other. How connected am I? And who am I connected to? You know, they say you can only have a circle of so many friends that you actually are taking in their opinions seriously. They've done some sort of study about this, and I, now I'm forgetting the details of it, but it's like seven or eight people max of being able to actually truly listen and take in opinions from folks, you know, and once, you know, you kind of drop one, you, you, you might have room to add another, but um, we, we, we're connected. 
and who are we connected to? And what's their impact on us? And more importantly, what am I giving to my connections? Am I empowering people? What am I packing back into the karmic river of life every day for the person next to me, for my brother and for my sister? Sometimes it can be great just to do an exercise and say, today I am going to intentionally find one thing about three different people that I've never expressed before that are really positive and I'm gonna be sure that they know it. Or better yet, I'm gonna intentionally show up for that person that I talk to, that I run into, and we've all run into people that we don't really wanna run into. And can I show up for that person? like I do my best friend? And can I just give away the want and the attachment to only be around and only be talking to people that I find to be encouraging and um, empowering and friendly and I like them? Um, how about if I'm around someone that maybe I don't like as much? Can I give to them that same sort of way? Can I be connected? How tightly do we hold on to our ideas and the things that we think? And how connected am I? How much am I able to get off of that island? And the last thing is, what is it that calms me? You know, we talked earlier about that friend that was kind of disturbed and we were, we were noticing our friend that was all agitated. Well, what is it that calms me? And can I notice when I'm settled? And can I notice when I'm agitated? Because oftentimes those are not destinations, you know? It's like you're going toward agitation, but you're not like full-blown agitated yet. You just have this sense inside, like sometimes I'll be doing things at work and then I'll go home for lunch. And even though I'm here in a Zen temple, anywhere you have people, you have people problems and stuff might happen. And so I'm sitting there and I, I, I don't wanna leave my desk. And I don't know why. Because the only thing that's in front of me is to go home and to just kind of relax and maybe have some lunch. But something isn't right inside. I'm not completely agitated. But maybe right then I need to do something because I realize that I haven't calmed. And oftentimes, you know, whether it's a hobby we have or a movie we're watching or a game we're playing or a person we're hanging around or something that we're doing at work that we're just doing like a hamster on a wheel. Sometimes we're just doing things and we're not completely agitated, but you know, we're wound up inside. And can we notice when we calm? Because the reason I'm talking about calming is how much clearer do you see things when you're calm? I see things a lot more clearly when I'm calm. And of course, there's all sorts of studies about this and, you know, even things that happen with um, police that probably shouldn't even be police officers, that when they get agitated, they're so in like the limbic section of their, their, their brain and people have varying degrees of this, you know, they study it in the military and some of the stuff they never talk about in regard to the military or psych studies of people that are in war. And the estimates are somewhere between 30 to 40% of people who go to combat for the first time completely freeze and don't fire their weapon. And that's not something that's you know widely talked about, but you know, 
that's an agitated state. That's completely being frozen. And we have many versions of that throughout our day where we're hearing somebody, but we're not really hearing them because of the thing that they said or because the thing that happened three conversations ago, and I haven't really calmed down from that. And now I'm in the conversation with this person, but I've still got the residue of bother on me and I'm still agitated and I haven't digested it yet. And so I don't really hear. I don't really get what's going on. And it's hard to understand the nuance of life unless you are settled inside. And so I invite you throughout the coming out of this cave. Have you ever heard of um, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave where people are in the cave and, they're, and, and, the, and they've lived in the cave their whole life and, they, and the only thing they know are the shadows on the cave wall. And so they've got all these stories about how the universe is, but they've never actually seen the universe. They've just been looking at the shadows on the cave wall. And so we're coming out of the cave and we've got some ideas about how the world is going to be and how we are, and we don't want to suffer so much. And so I invite you in regard to the second noble truth around attachment and craving and the idea, the first idea that people tend to be attached to and to have as far as a fixed idea, is that we're on an island, and if we in our castle get everything the way we want it, that then I won't suffer. And I'm inviting you to look at our grip and how I hold on to our, how you hold on to your ideas, how I hold on to my ideas, to be hard on our ideas in some sort of way, to at least be critical and to turn them over, to be flexible with them. And then be connected. And how am I connected to the people around me? And what do I give to those connections? And is it only to the people that I like? And then what calms me? And when am I not calm? Notice throughout your day, and maybe even keep a calm journal, and notice when you're agitated. And maybe not completely agitated, but notice when you're a little wound. And then notice what activities and what things help you not be so wound so that you might see. So that's a few thoughts on suffering and coming out of the cave. And it's really great to have you all here this evening. Um, and um, thank you very much for showing up to Young Urban Zen to entertain this point with each other this evening. So. Um, what we do at this point is we do Q&A, and then later on, if everyone wants to do it, 